Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Welcome to the fourth installment in our discussion on the doctrine of money. Uh, today is going to be a little bit of a quick hitter. I'm not sure if it'll be a full length 30 minutes or not, but we'll see how far it gets along after we get rolling for a while. I wanted to begin by answering the question, or actually I wanted to spend most of our time focusing on answering this question that I posed at the end of episode 23, which is, what should I think about money and how can I change? What should I think about money and how can I change? Now, what I have tried to do over the last three episodes is to give you an overview of money and riches and wealth from God's perspective. What I have attempted to do is to explain the big picture, overarching philosophy of how God views money and how we are to utilize money. Now, I don't want to get into the specifics of telling you how to do a budget or talking about um, what you can and can't spend your money on. I I don't really think that that's really my forte. Uh, My forte is in providing you a theological understanding of a subject from Scripture and then trying to give you some practical application on how to put your theology to use for you in your daily life. That's my expertise. So I'm not really interested in telling you, you know, this is how much you need to spend on a monthly budget. What I will say about budgeting is you should be in the black every month. So whatever you need to do to get in the black, that's what you need to do. And for most of us, getting in the black means that we have to spend less, not earn more. It's much easier to spend less than it is to make more money. So if you're not in the black every month, You need to figure out what you can cut out of your life in order to get to the black. Now, does that mean that I think debt is wrong or immoral or anything like that? No, the Bible doesn't teach that having or using debt is immoral. But it does say that the borrower is slave to the lender. And so if you are month after month going into debt or utilizing debt in order to live, then you are enslaving yourself to somebody else. And that reduces the freedom you have, the opportunity that you have in life. It creates an unnecessary emotional and social burden upon you if you constantly live in debt. So I would encourage you just in terms of budgeting, figure out what you can cut out of your monthly budget so that you are not in debt at the end of every month, so that you're in the black at the end of every month. And if you do have debt, you start paying that debt off. Again, I'm not the expert in giving you all the budgeting tips and tricks. You can find somebody like Dave Ramsey. You can find somebody like um, Crown Financial Ministries. These are excellent and great resources that will give you all of that hands-on information. My goal is to give you a theology or a philosophy of what the Bible teaches, a biblical perspective. And then how do you put that into practice? How do you start thinking about that? Then how do you practice it? So what should you think about money? Well, we've laid out that God owns it all and that 
everybody needs it, but that money oftentimes results in heartbreak and disaster because people love money. They love what money can buy them. They love what money can achieve for them. And so they become greedy and covetous and they begin to sin in order to get more. And it's never appropriate. It's never okay to sin in order to get something that you want. Now, that could be a a job, that could be a a spouse, that could be financial gain. There's a lot of things that we could sin in order to get. We can't do that. Money just happens to be one that is well accepted in our society. It is well accepted in our society to sin in order to get more money or a higher paying job or a position or something like that. People lie on job interviews. People lie on their hour sheets or their time sheets. People lie uh, in a lot of different ways in order to get more money. And the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. People will do very evil things in order to get more money because they think money brings satisfaction and contentment and peace. And the Bible is very clear that even when a man's life is full of possessions, that's not all there is to life. Even when a man has an abundance of possessions, he's often not satisfied. So the question then becomes, okay, how should I think about money? Money is a tool. Money is a tool that you can use and that you must use to conduct the daily business of life. That's just the bottom line. I'm sure sometimes we're tempted to think that, man, it'd be easy if we didn't have money. But, you know, whether we lived in a society that was totally cashless, like we didn't have money or a standard, we'd be trading goods, you know? And so there's always a need for managing goods or managing dollar bills, whatever it is, so that there can be an exchange of products in the marketplace. You cannot escape that. It's just impossible to escape that. I know there are some people who really try to live, you know, off the land to be totally independent and subsist just on what they're able to take in and grow for themselves. But, you know, how are they going to get a car? They can't build that themselves. How are you going to get certain tools? You just can't make everything. And so you're going to have to interact in some way, shape, or form with money, with other people. So how do you begin to think about it? Well, I think one principle that we can really learn and glean from the scriptures is a principle that Paul applies to Christian liberty in the New Testament. And and why do I think that Christian liberty applies to our use of money? Well, outside of a few comments made by Jesus regarding the use of money, like, you know, count the cost of the building before you build it, all right? And, and pray and ask the Lord to just give you today's daily bread. And your heavenly Father knows that you need food and shelter and clothing, but seek his kingdom first, and God will add those things to you. Maybe not quite in the way that you would desire, like fulfilling every dream that you have, but God will give you what is sufficient for you. 
So outside of a few comments like that in the New Testament, there is not a large-scale command or explanation on how to utilize money. So I think that we look at money as something that falls under the category of Christian liberty because there are a lot of things that we can do with our money that are not prescribed in the Bible. You think about a church building program. Everybody can get behind a church building program. But where in the New Testament does it talk about building churches with our money? Literally nowhere in the New Testament does it talk about building churches with our money. But is that a legitimate practice? Sure it is, because it falls under the category of Christian liberty. All right, you can find some other examples of things that we do in the church that require money, but are not found in the New Testament either. So what do we do? And I think that's why we look to the passages in 1 Corinthians and Romans 14 about Christian liberty to help us decide how we should think about our money. So here's one passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all, not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Hmm, that's interesting. All things are lawful to me, but not all things are profitable. Is it lawful for you to be a millionaire, a multimillionaire? Sure it is. It's lawful. Do you think it would be the most profitable thing for you? Now really think carefully before you answer that. I think for many of us, being a multimillionaire would not be the most profitable thing for us because our pride would be built up, our dependence upon God would be lessened. It would be very difficult to continue walking in a way that's pleasing to God if you were also a multimillionaire. That's not to say Christians can't be. That's just to say it's exceptional rather than the rule. All right? Now, how about this? All things are lawful for me, being a millionaire, but I will not be mastered by anything. There you go. You can be a millionaire, but you cannot be mastered by your money. You could only be a thousandaire. Most of us are thousandaires. You know, we have thousands of dollars, not millions of dollars. But the same truth remains. Whether you only have $10,000 in the bank or $1,000 in the bank or $1 million in the bank, you cannot be mastered by anything. And that means that you have to have a vertical perspective on money. You have to be the one who controls the way that you perceive money. You can't let your desires run wild. You have to be in self-control. And really, when you stop and think about all that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 6, in chapters 8, 9, and 10 about Christian liberty and not wounding your brother, most of that, the vast majority of that, goes back to this idea of being self-controlled, managing your expectations, managing your lust or your greed, managing the temptation to sin, you have to be under control. And so is money lawful for you? Absolutely. But you can't be mastered by it. Do you have to use money? Absolutely. But again, 
Don't let it be your master. You master it. Here's another principle from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that you can apply to this situation. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I think that's how we ought to think about our money. Are we using our money for the glory of God? Do we put glorifying God's interests first when we think about spending our money? Let me give you some examples of how you ought to do this. I'm just going to use myself as an example. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I have four small children. But I also have a lot of things that I'm interested in doing. I love hunting. I love fishing. I like biking. Um, I have hobbies that I enjoy to pursue. And so how am I going to use my money to bring glory to God in all that I do? Well, what this means for me is that I'm looking, when I get my paycheck, I'm looking to say, how can I meet all of the obligations that God says I should meet? First, my wife and I have made a commitment to give to our local church because we believe that the local church is God's plan and purpose for this age and that through our giving to the local church, we are advancing the kingdom of God. So we always give to the local church. We make that a priority. Secondly, I take a look at our finances and I say, here's all the financial obligations that we have to pay this month. You know, your utilities, your mortgage or your rent. Um, If you have a car payment, you have to pay that. Those are all things that must be paid. Like you can't skip out on paying the electric bill or the gas bill. You have to take care of those things. Then I look and I say, all right, we need to eat this month. So Meredith, how much money do you need for groceries this month? We have a set figure that we use and she's uh, manages her grocery money. But that comes first. Then whatever we have left, you know, that's where you get to the disposable part of disposable income, money that's not really earmarked for anything, but can be used for various purposes. And so I have to sit and make a decision of what will bring God the most glory with how I utilize this money. And as those of you with children might have discovered, as I am discovering, my children are growing older, kids' activities that they want to do cost money. So if you want your child to be in piano lessons or ballet lessons or to play baseball or something like that, that costs money. Well, if there's only a limited amount of money to go around, how are you going to decide who gets it? For me, I have chosen to basically put my hobbies, the money that I would like to spend on my hobbies, kind of on the back burner and devote the disposable income that I have to helping my children pursue some things while they are young that will help them grow into well-rounded individuals and good contributors of society. Now, do they have to take piano lessons or play sports or do dance class? No, there's no obligation to do that. But I view it as being more selfless to allow them to pursue those things with the limited resources that we have than I do to take those limited resources and spend them upon my own pleasures. Now, it's not wrong if you decide to do something different than that. But I'm just saying, how do you use your money for the glory of God? I think you look to put others' interests ahead of your own 
in making financial and monetary decisions. That's one way that you can do all to the glory of God. Now, I'm not going to have my children around forever. You know, not, hopefully they're going to live for a long time. But what I mean is they're not going to live in my house forever. You have 18 years with them, basically. And then they move on and go do other things in life. After my kids grow up and move out, I'll probably have more financial resources to devote to the things that I like to pursue. But I'm not going to be able to get this time back with my children. And I think that it's glorifying to God to use my limited resources to help my children pursue things that they enjoy that would help them grow into well-rounded people having various skills that they can put into practice later in life and getting different life experience now. I think that glorifies God more than me going out and getting a new bow for hunting or spending it on a new bicycle for bike riding. You know, again, it's not wrong if you choose to do those things. I'm just giving you one example, one man's example of how I I choose to try to glorify God with my income. And I try to do the same thing for my wife, encouraging her to go out and, you know, do you need, you need some new dress clothes? Do you, need, do you need this for the house or do you want that? Encouraging her to buy some things that are satisfactory uh, for her that make her life more comfortable or make her home more livable since she's there all the time. I don't really care what decorations are on the walls, but she does. And so if that means something to her, then I think it glorifies God when you choose to use your resources for somebody else's interests instead of your own. I think that's a principle you can glean not only from this passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, but when you put that together with Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, about not pursuing your own interests, but looking out for the interests of others, not being selfish, but being selfless, I think that really brings glory and honor to God, and it sets a good example for your wife and for your children about how to think about money. You know, you can't guarantee that by having a certain perspective on money or a certain thought process, your child will grow up with that exact same thought process. But what you can do is try to show them a biblical attitude towards money that is well-balanced, all right? That is not just selfish. That is not looking out for your own interests. You can teach that to them and show them how it benefits everybody. And the fact of the matter is, God has greatly blessed me for this perspective on money. For There are times when I'll have a buddy say, hey, let's go do this thing, and I, I want to cover your, the cost of this trip for you. Wow, I wasn't expecting that, but God God did that. God provided that for me. Now, I'm not saying that's how God is going to work in everybody's life or everybody's situation, but I'm just saying God is able to add things to you that you want when you put pursuing him first. I view that as a direct answer to what Jesus was talking about, or a it's directly correlated to what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 6. Look, The Gentiles spend all their time pursuing these things. You, you believers, pursue Christ and his kingdom. Pursue God's kingdom first, and God will add these things to you. How does he add it to you? I don't know. He's going to do it somehow. It's not up to us to know 
all the means and ways by which God is going to add those things to us, but he does, and he often uses other people to do it so that that person can receive the blessing and you can receive the blessing. God is the ultimate provider. That's what I would say. We should be thinking about money. God is the ultimate provider. And if you are committed to putting his interests first and to asking the question, how can I glorify God with my money first? How can I do that first? I'm confident that God will provide for you in such a way that you'll be able to pursue some of the things that you like as well. You know, this idea about money and blessing, it feels sometimes like you're walking on eggshells because the evangelical church, I, I'm not, I don't even know if it's the evangelical church, but the Christian church in America, especially the Pentecostal movement, has so perverted the idea of giving to God and receiving a blessing back that it makes you hesitant to talk about it. But the fact of the matter is, that's what God says he will do. But when you're really seeking for God's interest first, genuinely in your heart, that's when I think God honors it by giving you something that you didn't expect through an avenue in which you weren't expecting it. We're not talking about planting some kind of seed that God will then return 60 times or 100 times. We're not talking about that. that that's, that's not even a biblical idea. The idea that if you get saved, Jesus wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. That's not a biblical idea. The truth is what we talked about last week from Philippians chapter 4. That if you know Jesus, you should learn to be content in whatever circumstance you are in. Whether it's with a lot or whether it's with nothing. You learn to be content in that circumstance. And that's hard. It requires prayer. It requires study. It requires faith to be content in whatever circumstance you're in. That's how you honor God with your attitude towards money. That's how you will cultivate an honorable practice of spending money. Does this honor God? Does it bring glory to Him? I think by evaluating our perspective on money with this idea in mind of how do I glorify God in choosing to spend money, in choosing to use my resources, and how I make those decisions. It really helps believers to practice what Jesus said about making sure that your treasures are in heaven and not on earth. One thing I have found in home ownership and in taking care of a property is that it just takes time and it takes energy. And especially with the spring like we're having now where it's a little bit warm, but it rains like every other day, man, I am spending a lot of time mowing my grass. I wish I didn't have to. I wish somebody else would take care of that for me, but I, I'm the manager, I'm the steward of this property. And so I've got to do that responsibility. But you know, when you get more things, 
It requires more of your energy to care for and maintain and practice a godly stewardship over those things. So really ask yourself before buying something, will this allow me to bring glory to God? Will this purchase bring glory to God? Is this a good priority so that God will be glorified and my family will benefit and it's not going to take up too much of my time, time that I could use working for the kingdom instead of just working to maintain what I have. And all that is to say that it should cross our minds when we make purchases. It should cross our minds when we go to buy a house or some other purchase. That's not to say it's wrong. It's certainly not wrong. You need a place to live. It's not wrong to have a couple cars or even a boat or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is really think about how what we purchase takes time away from serving the kingdom. Or doesn't it? Maybe it will allow you to serve better. That's what I mean. I guess that's what I'm really trying to get at when I'm encouraging us, myself included, to think about money. Now, how can you change your perspective? How can you change your perspective? What if this is really foreign to you? What if all these ideas of, you know, spending for God's glory first, what if that is a very foreign concept to you? Well, I would encourage you to go back and review some of the other podcasts, uh, episode 21, 22, 23, listen to those again. Take notes on the verses. Read those verses yourself from the Word of God. Or do like I did. When I was thinking about this series of podcasts, I went to some Bible search engines and I just typed in money. I typed in riches. I typed in wealth. And I just read all the verses that the Bible had to say about that. And I tried to put them together in a thought process and If you want to change the way that you think about a certain subject, you have to use the Word of God, and you have to allow the Word of God to speak truth into your life, not just, you know, the Word of God or you dictating to the Word of God what you want it to say, cherry-picking your favorite passages, but really reading all the passages that the Bible has to say and saying, all right, I am going to be submissive to all that the Bible has to say about this doctrine. And I'm going to put it together. There's a lot there in the Bible about money. So if you want to say, how can I change? How can I change? Well, get in the Word of God. Really put some effort into studying. You know, people people can change a lot of aspects about their life. People change their weight. People change their fitness level. People can change their cooking habits or they can change a lot of things that they want to. And so that's what I would really say. If you want to change, you will. And the way to change is to get in the Word of God and to examine thoroughly everything that the Bible has to say about money and break it down into categories. Good things the Bible says about money. Bad things the Bible says about money good uses of money, bad uses of money, the dangers of money, the thoughts about like how you think about money. 
How can you change? Go to the Word of God. Pray. And if you don't keep track of how you spend your money, that's a vital part of this process as well. Like I mentioned earlier, go to Crown Financial Ministries or Dave Ramsey's websites and figure out how to make a budget. How can you glorify God with your money if you don't know how you're spending it or where you're spending it or how much? You need to know exactly what you're doing with your money so that you can give a proper accounting for it. Even if you don't show it to anybody outside of your family, something that you and your spouse can consider and then compare to the Word of God. Hey, here's where we're spending a lot of our money. Does that line up with our biblical priorities? You may be surprised to find that your eating out budget is two times more than your giving to the church budget. You may be surprised. You may not even know. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying maybe you would change that if you knew that. You can't know if you don't budget. So two things you can do to change your attitude about money. One, try to do an exhaustive study of the Bible. Go to blueletterbible.com. That's blueletterbible.com. They have excellent concordance resources. Just type in those words, money, riches, debt, wealth. Read all the verses about it and do your study on what the Bible has to say. And then go to one of the other resources that I mentioned and figure out how to do a monthly budget and keep track for three months and say, oh, wow, look at the trends of where our money is going. Look at the trends of how we're spending our money. Is that bringing glory to God? Is that really what I want to do with my money? If it's not, then start making changes. Start being more disciplined. Practice self-control. Do that which honors God instead of that which pleases yourself. And that's hard. It's hard to say no to ourselves. We think we deserve it. We think we're owed it. But the reality is, we owe God far more than we ever owe ourselves anything. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. You can check our church out, the Grace Brethren Chapel, on the web at www.gbchapel.org. If you live in the Northwest Ohio area, we'd love to have you come check out a service on a Sunday morning and get to know you a little bit better. Thank you to Stephen Lohr and his production studio for production work on this podcast. I appreciate all the effort that their studio has done. You can check him out on Facebook at S. Lore Music Group on Facebook. Take care. God bless.